Hi, I'm Heather Mulder. And I'm Janice Greeno, and you're listening to Dementia Untangled, where we explore the topic of dementia through conversations with physicians, experts, and community leaders. Our discussions focus on innovative ideas, practical strategies, and proven methods to guide caregivers along a supportive path. Hello, and welcome to Dementia Untangled. Thank you for joining us for this episode of our podcast. Today, our conversation will be with Katherine Halpin, a management consultant and a care partner. And we're going to be discussing the lived experience of the care partner or the caregiver. Janice, according to the Alzheimer's Association, there are over 11 million Americans who provide unpaid care for people living with Alzheimer's disease and other dementias. I think this is a pretty astounding number, especially when we consider the uniqueness of this disease, how every person living with dementia experiences this disease a little differently, how their family members, how their care partners, there are some commonalities that can be drawn but everybody's experience is a little bit different. But I think our hope for today's conversation is really that we can pull out some themes and some important lessons from this caregiving experience that our listeners can apply to their day-to-day lives. Absolutely. And in thinking about the lived experience of care partners and caregivers and people living with dementia, those numbers that you shared, the 11 million Americans, that number is astronomical and that's in our nation alone. Mm-hmm. You know, when I think of individuals that I know and work with, uh, those numbers become real. Mm-hmm. I, I think of friends, of my own family members and of professionals that we've had the privilege of having conversations with on this podcast, Um, people who are experts like Katie Brandt, who is a family caregiver. She works full time and she volunteers as the co-chair and caregiver representative of the National Alzheimer's Project Advisory Council on Research and Care and Services. I believe that conversations about the reality of the lived experience are so important as we raise awareness about dementia. Welcome, Catherine. Thank you for joining us today. Oh, thank you, Heather and Janice. I'm, I'm just honored to be part of this. I am so curious to learn a little bit more about you. Could you tell us about your journey and what led you to connect with the dementia community? Well, um, in my management consulting firm, I had met um, an individual that's been a big donor to the Banner Alzheimer's Institute, and he had actually funded two years of my services for the leadership team in in the formation stages of the Banner Alzheimer's Institute. So um, in 2016 or so, maybe 2015, Bonnie was my wife of now 40 years as of this month. Thank you. Not, not, not that she's been my wife 40 years, but we've been together 40 years. 
she started to show uh, some signs that were unusual. Uh, she couldn't find her keys. And we, we lived in a little unique house with two casitas in the backyard that we used for offices. And so it was kind of complicated. Um, you know, it was easy to lose your keys in that environment, but it was seemed to be a bit more than just um, routine. And so I said to her, why don't we go to the Banner Alzheimer's Institute and get a baseline exam so that if you do end up having dementia or, or um, Alzheimer's, we'll, we'll know where you started, where you were today. And she knew Dr. Ryman, she knew Dr. Terrio, and so she just thought that was a great idea. So that's so we saw Dr. Terrio, I think, in about 2016, early 2016, and he gave her uh, the diagnosis of mild cognitive impairment. And then within that year, he tested her for the protein and, and notified us that she did, in fact, have the protein. And um, now we've come to learn that she has four of the, I don't know, it's not proteins, I can't think of it, but she has four, oh, I like the chromosomes or something, she has four of the chromosomes. So she definitely has Alzheimer's and she'll you know, only deteriorate with it, most likely. But Dr. Terrio, the last time we saw her, him, he said that she is um, deteriorating so slowly, she's defying all the odds because she's deteriorating slowly and she's also scoring high on her cognitive tests. So we feel very fortunate that um, our journey really hasn't been that painful at all. It's really been positive for me in the sense that it helped me peel away another layer of intensity that I had brought from my childhood, having to grow up too early and, um, and my early workaholism. So uh, her, her decline, even though it's been slight, has caused me to take on more household responsibilities and, and more of her healthcare responsibilities. And that gets me out of the office and that just helps me relax. And then plus so many opportunities, her enrichment programs are my enrichment programs too. I love them as much as she does and love the community. Wow, Catherine, I think you have such an interesting story and a unique perspective being involved before Banner Alzheimer's Institute was even Banner Alzheimer's Institute. Right, exactly. Dr. Ryman was just a scientist. Um, you had mentioned Bonnie losing her keys more frequently. Yeah. Was there anything else that was happening that you thought, hmm, something is not quite right? Well, this is not a normal part of aging. Yeah, well, in hindsight, so she had, she had re I had talked her uh, into retiring when she was 59. She was an administrator for the Salvation Army in Phoenix, and she had been an administrator in Dallas too. And um, she was the senior most lay person in Phoenix. Uh, so uh, the only people above her were the Salvation Army officers. So um, I had talked her into retiring from that in 1999. I told her it would be a part-time job if she came to work with me and my little firm. And I said, um, you know, she could go to the grocery store on a Wednesday afternoon or something. And so we wouldn't have to give up our weekends doing those kind of little chores and errands. But she was ill prepared for that job because she had always been an executive. She'd never been uh, like me, you know, a clerk working in a, my dad's CPA firm. So she was like, oh, 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 that's how you get a letter out of the computer. <laughs> So, uh, so anyway, there was a big learning curve, but, but she added so much value. And the biggest value that she added was just being there with me all day in my um, intense work environment uh, that I created all by myself. And um, 
and coaching me. And I started to tell the clients, she coaches me and then I go out and coach the clients. So uh, she brought so much value. So anyway, she retired in 1999 and she was 59 years old at that time. And she, she did work until we downsized uh, in um, 2016, late 2016. And uh, in hindsight, I can see that she was doing more and more of the shredding and the scanning. She was doing less complicated things. But uh, part of that was you know, the invention of the iPhone. And it was just easier for me to do my own scheduling than with Google Calendar than with, um, you know, having her call my client's administrative assistants and go through all those hoops. So a lot of it was the technology was advancing, but a lot of it was, I think, in hindsight, what she was, she was doing the things that she was comfortable doing. And then when we moved, uh, we started to have some friends come over to see our new little tiny condo. And um, two of those people are, uh, involved in the in the uh, enrichment programs at Banner Alzheimer's today, and um, they uh, and, and I heard her tell them at that time that she was retired, and she and I had not even talked about that. So I was like, "Are you sure you're retired? <laughs> Couldn't you keep doing some scanning and some shredding?" So uh, she did a little bit of that, but she quickly, you know, said, "No, I just want to be retired." So uh, there there were signs, but the only one I really noticed at the time was the keys. Wow, I find it so impressive that with the keys alone that you said, hey, let's just get a baseline. Can you talk about the diagnosis process? Yes, well, it's pretty simple. Um, I just, uh, you know, got the appointment with Dr. Terrio since we already had this relationship. And um, we had even been to dinner once or twice with him and his wife, Laura. So we were good, good friends. And um so we got the appointment fairly quickly and uh, we went and, and, and then he, you know, and then we continued to see him regularly for a while. And he, you know, briefed us at every stage. And then he brought up in the first or second, I think it was the first appointment he brought up about the clinical trials and she might want to be involved in that. And she had been a biology teacher, high school biology teacher uh, in her earliest career. And so she was like, Oh yes, I definitely want to be able to contribute to the science and so she's quite proud and um, committed to being part of that so um so we got into the into the clinical trials I guess pretty quickly I think I think it started sometime in um we were in it by mid 2017 we were in the clinical trial and she's been part of two or three and it, it and it, before that he tried to give her some of the meds the recommended medications but she wasn't able to tolerate any of those so we were especially grateful that she could tolerate the, the infusion from the clinical trial it wasn't a patch and it wasn't an oral medication it was something she could tolerate i love that she was so quick to get involved in a research study and and mm -hmm. so excited to get involved in it yes. as well yes she doesn't have that same level of excitement now <laughs> She, but she still goes. We, we still participate. <laughs> Something that I think is difficult for people to gauge when is the right time. And it's a very personal decision about sharing the diagnosis with family and with friends. How did you and Bonnie navigate that? Well, that's interesting. Uh, Dr. Terrio actually called us, called me and, um, said would we be willing to participate in some interview 
And I said, you know, I, I just don't think we're ready for that because Bonnie hasn't even told her siblings. But then in May of 2017, we'd only been in our condo about, you know, six or seven, eight months. Her sister and brother-in-law came to Phoenix. They were going to go to Flagstaff for a conference. And I spent a couple of days with us before and after the conference. And um, so she said to me, uh, you know, like on the way to the airport to pick them up, she said, I'm going to, I'm going to tell them when we're together. And so either the first or second day we were with them, her sister was out on the patio and she said, okay, I'm going to go out on the patio and tell her. And her sister's husband was an economist in DC in government. And uh, he's quite the brainiac and also quite the uh, researcher. And so he, he wanted to review all of the materials, which of course, every time you go to Banner, you get a lot of materials. So he interviewed, he took, he, he took a lot of, um, I had duplicates for many of the, you know, uh, the brochures and things. And, he took all, all that set and, and he and her youngest brother have continued, her youngest brother is a librarian by profession. And so they both kept up on the science more than me. They're always sending me stuff to keep me in the loop. So I, I read, you know, I'm, I'm in the loop as far as what I learned from Banner and then also from uh, reading the newspaper. I'm a big newspaper person, but I'm not, I'm not going online to read about the clinical trials and things like that. So it's good to have those resources. So they were great um, and they've all been great. And one of her sisters now thinks that she's, you know, maybe having too much of a, you know, too many senior moments. And so I've been encouraging her to try to find a, a clinical trial close to her. It's so wonderful that you had family members step up and get involved and help support you in sharing uh, education and, I'm wondering if there's other things that you did right after you found out about the diagnosis. I tried to apply my uh, philosophy of life uh, to the diagnosis. And um, let's see, I'm, I think initially it was a shock to both of us, but, um, and especially getting the news that she did have the protein. And so, you know, it, she definitely would, she would definitely get Alzheimer's if she lived long enough. Um, but um my philosophy that, you know, everything evolves as it should, and there's a gift in everything. And uh, so I just kept looking for those gifts. And one I've already shared about, which was the peeling away of the additional layers of intensity on my part. And then um, other gifts were, you know, I, I, would, I would tell people that we needed to be come with a mindset of curiosity and not be judgmental, not say, oh, this shouldn't be this way, or he shouldn't be that way. We should just be curious and ask questions. But, you know, uh, it's one thing to preach it. It's a whole other thing to live it. So, I, you know, I'm, I probably was, you know, pretty average like every other human being. But this really brought it home that, no, I can't let myself have any judgments at all. And I really haven't had any judgments. And I tell her all the time that this is the best phase of our 40-year relationship because before she was very reserved, very, very reserved. And she was also very much a worry ward and a perfectionist and all that's completely disappeared. And so now we have so much joy just on a day-to-day -day basis. We have so much joy. It's in a combination of her joy from all the enrichment programs and her doing her art projects. And then, um, you know, me being able to participate in that by, because I don't have any judgments like, oh yeah, this is exactly where we need to be today. So now so that doesn't mean I don't sometimes get frustrated, 
um, you know, but um, the good news is she, you know, she'll be, she'll, she'll feel my frustration for a minute, but then in 10 minutes, she won't even remember that I was frustrated. So it's all perfect. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, uh, there's no, uh, there's no repercussions if I do um, get a little frustrated here and there. But for the most part, we it, it really, it, I know it, it's absolutely the best time of our 40 years together. We have so much fun and so much joy. That's such an amazing attitude, all about the perspective that you're taking. Well, thanks, thanks. It's been really good. It's been really good. And, um, and the enrichment programs have been especially good for me too. And I want to learn more about that. I think that's really how I got to know you and Bonnie is through some of our regular engagement programs. Can you talk about how have they helped Bonnie and how have they been beneficial to you? I think the first one we got plugged into was the art. Yeah, that was the first one we got plugged into was the art. It was in conjunction with Banner Alzheimer's Institute's partnership with the city of Phoenix arts programs. And it was like, literally close enough to walk we could have walked from our house and Bonnie could have walked but then it would have been hard for her to walk back so so we drove so uh, at first uh, I could see right away I mean she just loved it she loved doing the art projects she loved being with the other people in the class she uh, enjoyed the um, teacher and any of the helpers that were there she just loved everything about it she loved all the products she was we we're we're packing to move and the first thing we packed we want to make sure we packed all her art uh, properly so it would not be damaged in the move and then i came to be so uh, such good friends and like family with the other care partners we would gather in another room at the phoenix center for the arts and they so they would be doing their art one room and we would just be sitting around a table shooting the breeze and comparing notes and talking about things and and then people that had, um, whose uh, partners had no longer been able to come to the class or had even passed away, they still came back to this group, not, not every week, but at least once a month because they loved the other care partners so much and they wanted to keep up those great relationships. So um, that was the first thing and that was just hugely valuable, hugely valuable. And then, you know, we, you and I had had some conversations about you know, launching the Shine Your Light Choir. And, and, and I was in a choir and we were hoping that that would be a support, but it just wasn't, they weren't, they just weren't professionally mature enough as an organization. They, they were great singers, but we just didn't have their infrastructure in place to be able to help us. But, but, but you found other resources. And so we went to Mesa about five or six times on the light rail with one of our friends who lived in our neighborhood. And then Another one of our friends drove in from Gold Canyon to the Mesa Arts Center for the choir with Sunju, and we loved that, but we did notice that there weren't very many people there. And so then the pandemic hit, and of course that was a canceled right away, but then you figured out, Heather, a way to do it on Zoom when other people are like, you can't do the choir on Zoom, but we sure do it. And so now it's been going two, almost two years every Friday for an hour and a half and we built such a powerful community of people between the other couples that are involved and um, so many close friendships. We um, just came back 10 days ago from Southern California. One of the members of the choir had early onset Alzheimer's and she passed away a year ago. 
on March 12th. And so her wife wanted to scatter some of her ashes on the beach where they had camped into the ocean on that first anniversary. And so we went over uh, and some of the guys from the choir, we caravaned over and we shared an Airbnb. And then we were there all day on the beach with the wife. And it was just so beautiful, so wonderful. So um, just so many good friends. And we've, we've peeled away some of our other friends because we have so many friends here in this community that we love and can relate to. Catherine, thank you for sharing all about that. It just sounds to me like whether these um, uh, life enrichment activities were in person or virtual that the relationships that you made really helped you as you navigated uh, dementia. Oh yes, oh yes, so much, so much. As you have talked about all that you do and your full-time job, do you have any tips for our caregivers who are listening, for our care partners who are early maybe in this journey about work-life balance? Well, that was a hard, hard lesson for me to learn. I um, went to work when I was about nine or 10 years old in my dad's CPA firm. And by the time I was 12, I was going in after school every day. And Stop for just a minute. Did you okay. say nine or 10 years yes. old? Yes. Wow. Yes. It was, you know, it was a different time. And there are no child labor laws in Mississippi, of course. <laughs> so, um so when I was able to escape from that, being an indentured servant like that at age 20, I, um, I took an awful lot of baggage with me. And one of them was that you have to work nights and weekends because that's what my dad did. And so his personality was exactly like mine. And he, does, he did exactly the kind of work I do, except how he got paid was for doing their financial statements and business owners' financial statements and their tax returns. I don't do any of that. I just talked to him about what their visions for their companies are and how they can get the right people in the right role based on their strengths and how they could fill those um, positions they haven't been able to fill and just strategize with them about their business. And then, and then they start to talk about their family, what they want from their family. He did all of the exact same things, but he had to do the taxes and the, and the financial statements at night. And on the weekends. So anyway, um, I had a lot of baggage I took with me and um it was getting with Bonnie, who was raised in an entirely different environment. She was raised in a German. So we have like six generations of alcoholism and mental illness in my family. But uh, Bonnie's family, they were German. They were in a German community in South St. Louis called Lee May Ferry. She went to uh, Catholic schools with German nuns. I mean, it was just so much rigor and discipline and uh, structure and good boundaries and high standards. And so it's just so drawn to that. I'd never met anybody that didn't have a lot of chaos in, in their lives because we had had so much chaos. And how I had gotten this leadership role in my family was because when I was about five, I said to myself, somebody's going to make a few decisions around here and be in charge. And so I just put myself in charge of trying to get us to church on time and school on time. So anyway, uh, I was just so drawn to Bonnie. So that's been... Um, that's been one of the biggest blessings that of our relationship. And then as she aged, I, I had to peel away another layer of, of intensity. And then as she aged further, I had to peel away another layer of intensity. So um, I had a lot of baggage. Oh, so, so, so early on, what got me out of um, Mississippi and what got me out of my unfortunate CPA career 
was journaling. I don't know where I heard about journaling, but when I was about 19 years old, I started journaling and I didn't do it every day. But then when I would get myself in trouble at work and it's because I had all this baggage and I was ill-suited for these accounting roles and internal audit roles, um, I would sometimes journal three times a day to work through those issues. And then I would also, I'm so verbal, I would process everything with Bonnie. And um, so the journaling's always been a big piece of my self-care, so I do that. And then for 40 years, I've been trying to meditate, but um, about a decade ago, I I clicked onto the guided imagery meditations. So on YouTube, I could just, you know, open up and there's like a half a dozen people I would like, and I would just click on one of those. And then um, on November 23rd, 2020 so we were you know like six months into the pandemic or a little further i opened up my youtube and there was um uh, audio from jose silva of the silva mind method and i had had a client who 20 years earlier had told me that he was a student of the silva mind method and so I said, oh, I'm going to listen to that. And then it was a Monday morning and I keep my Monday mornings free so that I can just kind of get organized for the week or anything I didn't get done the week before. And um, so I had that morning, you know, unblocked. And so I listened to like an hour and a half video about Sil- so, uh, uh, Jose Silva and I did the meditation. And then I, I did, I've done it daily, almost daily, seven days a week since uh, November 23rd, 2020. And that took me to a whole nother layer of relaxation. It's one thing to meditate, um, but it, it's another thing to do it with their, their tools. They, what they do is they play in the background. Uh, so he was a radio technician and um, he wanted his children to do better in school. So he, he uh, learned about hypnosis and he learned about um, all kinds of uh, meditation. And then he connected the dots with his radio repairman job that it's, it's the, uh, the more, the less tension you have in the wires, the more receptivity there is to transmit things on the radio airwaves. And, and I've now told you everything I know about that and that might've been completely incorrect. But anyway, he knew it was all about relaxation. And so he plays some um, sounds in the background that help you get even more relaxed. So that meditation has been powerful. And I've told a number of people, lots of my clients, and they all, they all report that they wear these heart monitors. And when they do a regular meditation, they their heart rate slows down. But when they do the Silva <laughs> meditation that I send them, the heart rate slows down even more. So, um, so the journaling, the meditation, and then walking, I love to walk and I love to be out in nature and swimming. I have to get in the water regularly year round. Uh, something about um, being in the water is very healing to me. So I've just, so like we've adapted. So Bonnie uh, used to get in the hot tub with me. Um, she rarely would get in the pool, but sometimes she'd get in the pool, but she always was a hot tubber with me, but now she doesn't care about the hot tub, but she loves being out in nature. So she'll go with me to the hot tub and sit and either take her book or something. And um, so she's been very supportive. And then the other thing is that's been a key rhythm for us is that she sleeps more. And so I get up early and I don't get up as early as I used. I used to get up at five, but the pandemic, I, I only, I now only get up at six. And sometimes I don't get up until seven if I'm tired, but um, 
and depending on what time I have to start my work day, but she's going to be, she's going to usually sleep till at least nine, maybe 10, maybe 10, 30 or 11. And so uh, I'll be at work by that time in our home because I work out of the home, but that still gives me, you know, two, three hours to myself to do all my, as much self-care. Oh, and I do yoga too. I, I have to do the yoga. Otherwise I'm so stiff, I can't move around. So I just do some combination of some of those things, try to do some of them every day. And I've been doing that, you know, for the journaling for 40 years and the yoga for probably 15 years and the meditation on and off for 40 years. But it, it just really took the last few years for it to really click for me. Wow, Catherine, you have come up with quite a recipe to ensure that self-care is part of your daily life. Oh, I just have to, I have to, I could, um, I think if, if I hadn't found that journaling early on in my life, I probably would have been institutionalized because I had so much baggage coming from my dad's CPA firm and I was working in such toxic CPA environments <laughs> and I was so ill-suited for the work. You mentioned a few times kind of the work you do with your clients. And we mentioned earlier that you're a management consultant. You are the author of a book called Alignment for Success. I'm curious, have you taken, taken any lessons that you impart to these Fortune 500 companies that you now apply to your role as caregiver? Certainly the self-care I had, um, I had to, you know, really crack the code on my own self-leadership before I could uh, train other people to be, you know, more effective leaders. So, and, and then a big piece of my work is helping people, people be more proactive and less reactive. I have an ebook on that. And um, so certainly, yes, I'm using, and, and then, and choosing the right mindset, you know, we all get to choose our mindset every day. And uh, so I just always choose to be positive and look for the gift in everything. You know, and I'm, I'll give myself about a, you know, A plus some days and A minus other days. <laughs> so uh, I tell people I'm, some days I'm a chapter ahead of my clients and some days I'm a chapter behind my clients. <laughs> well, those are wonderful tips. <sighs> As our time together comes to an end, I'm just wondering, can you share how friends and family can be supportive to care partners or caregivers and the person living with dementia? Oh yes, I have a lot of thoughts on this. So one is um, the first situation that occurred was we had some longtime friends, a couple, and they live close to us and they've been longtime friends. And they had some bad habits, but we just ignored them. But Bonnie uh, felt that they both, when they were one-on-one -on -one with her, they both were so condescending to her. She told me, I would rather skip my art class than have one of them take me to the art class. And so uh, and then some other things have occurred uh, that would cause us to completely disengage with those friends, even though they have been long-term they could only be with us in the role of caregivers. Anything, any other role at all was, was not good. It was not positive for us. And then, um, and then uh, I was just thinking about a situation. Uh, we have a good, good friend who started to entertain more. She has a big, beautiful home in Paradise Valley and she wants to entertain more. 
And so she had a party on New Year's Day and she asked me to bring the salad. And for some reason, it just wasn't a good day for me or Bonnie. We were rushed to get there and um, neither of us do well when we rush. And I, I thought that day, gosh, um, I should have just told her I couldn't bring the salad. And then, um, and then she had another party the other night and um, she asked me if I would bring some fruit. And I immediately texted that message to some other friends that I knew were going to go to the party and said, hey, can y'all bring the fruit? trying to get myself out of that. So um, I'm tr I try to ask for help. I'm not really good at it, but um, I'm trying to learn, you know, it's just, just don't count on me to bring the, the salad or the fruit. It's just, it's just like one more thing I have to do. I'm in a lot of routines and rhythms, but you know, something like that throws me out of my rhythm. So, so it's just better to, you know, try to have good boundaries and not volunteer too much. I, I had been an over volunteer person many times in my life. Oh, I think important advice for all of us to take yes. to heart. Yes. I wonder, Catherine, could you give us your final thought when it comes to the caregiving, the care partner experience? Yes, I think that I would say um, that I would like our listeners who are care partners, especially if they're early in their journey, to just try to treat this as an adventure it is an adventure and uh, every day is going to be a new day and there are going to be times uh, that are very, 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 very difficult. We haven't been faced with those yet, but um, they could come. They, uh, most likely they will come and um, just enjoy the, the early stages of the good times, the laughter and the joy and all the enrichment programs. Plug into them as, as many as you can and to take advantage of every opportunity just to have fun together and enjoy life together because we've really enjoyed life more in, during this phase than we were able to before, you know, one, because of my intensity and two, because Bonnie just has so much more joy now. So it's an adventure. And, and if we can embrace it as an adventure, then we won't be feeling sorry for ourselves or we'll be feeling sorry for our loved ones. Today, our conversation has been with Catherine Helpin, a management consultant and care partner we appreciate you helping us untangle the lived experience of the care partner. Oh, it was an honor. I just am so um, inspired by what y'all are doing, Janice and Heather. Thank you so much. Well, thank you. Thank you so much, Catherine, uh, for just sharing your story with us. And thank you, Heather, for another great conversation. And thank you, Amber, behind the scenes. And thank you to our listeners. Thank you for joining us. And if you haven't already, please subscribe and share this podcast. I'm looking forward to our next conversation on Dementia Untangled. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Dementia Untangled. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Dementia Untangled is hosted by Heather Mulder and Janice Greeno, produced and edited by Amber Ayers, and is brought to you by Banner Alzheimer's Institute and Banner Sun Health Research Institute. We are supported by generous donations to the Banner Alzheimer's Foundation. Please visit our website at banneralz.org and follow us on Facebook to learn about upcoming events. If you have questions or comments, please email us at dementiauntangled at bannerhealth.com. Mm -hmm.